I read a story about a king thousands of years ago who was actually the first king in the long line of kings of a mighty, mighty nation. And although it was a daunting task to be the first king, this king had everything at his disposal to be successful. He had everything he needed to be successful. Certainly he looked the part of being a, a king as well. There's no one else like him. And sure enough, the beginning of his reign started out really, really well. Seemed to show mercy at first. He even went out and, and won a battle for his people. But what was a, a quick start and a good start to his reign became a, a very sad reign. One that ended very, very sadly. Started off good and then started going bad very, very quickly, in, in fact. And what happened was there was also a, a young man in the kingdom, one of his people, who started gaining popularity amongst the, the people of, of the nation. This young man had defeated a, a notorious enemy. And the people started falling in love with this young man. And the king noticed it. The king noticed that everybody's eyes were going toward this young man. And that they were loving this young man. And he became jealous. He became bitter towards this young man. And he tried to do anything he could to eliminate the threat to his kingdom, to his throne. He saw this young man as a threat. And so he did anything that he could to get rid of this young man. Tried to kill him on several occasions. Chased him down, hunted him recklessly, trying to get rid of this young man. But nothing he did worked. He could not get rid of this young man. And his popularity just kept growing and growing and growing. And unfortunately, the king's life came to a sad end in battle. He died, falling on his own sword, along with his sons. And the very man, that young man, he didn't want to see reign, ended up becoming king and became one of the greatest kings who's ever lived. Now by now, many of you probably have caught on that tonight we're talking about Saul. That was a very watered down and quick version of the story of Saul and David. Uh, but that's who we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the greatest bitterness in the Old Testament connected with King Saul. And in particular with his bitterness towards David. Now, I talked with Ross Gallagher after I spoke a couple weeks ago. And I did a lesson on uh, the greatest failure in the Old Testament. That was Balaam. And honestly, the greatest failure could also be attributed to Saul. And that might be a more apt title for him. Just, just how far he fell in such a, really, a, I mean, it was a long reign, but really he fell quickly and things just spiraled out of control for him. And it was a great failure. Um, but it is the greatest bitterness, and that's what we're talking about tonight. So first, let's talk a little bit about Saul. Number one, Saul really, he was in fact the first king of Israel. And this really is an amazing thing because you have, we have to remember the people of Israel are not just any ordinary people. This is God's chosen people, God's chosen race of all the peoples of the earth. Saul was chosen to be the first king of God's chosen people. And yeah, maybe that was a daunting task. And we see Saul kind of being hesitant at first, but he is this first king. God chose him to be the first king out of everybody. And Saul, he really did have all that he needed to be successful and he really did start off well let's look at a couple things um, first and foremost Saul was a very good looking and tall man 
uh, look at what the text says in 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zoror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, the son of a Benjaminite, a mighty man of valor. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. Saul, I think what the text is basically trying to point out to us is that Saul is a very impressive man. He's tall, he's good looking. There's not anyone else really like him as far as looks go. And I know some of these young men up here are probably thinking, hey, that's me, you know. Um, but uh, no, Saul, Saul was a really, really good looking guy. All right, and he's very tall. Um, not only that, so he had the looks going for him. He had the height. Everybody could basically pick out Saul. God's spirit also fell upon Saul. And that's something that maybe we don't see a whole lot. But in 1 Samuel chapter 10, God's spirit actually does fall on Saul. And he begins to prophesy there. And a proverb comes from that. Um, and then he's publicly anointed before all the people of Israel. And Samuel says something re really interesting in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 24. It says this, Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him, Saul, whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there's no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. And you can just hear the people shouting that. Long live the king. Long live the king. I'm sure they're excited that they've got a king now, even though it was kind of a, a, a bad thing in the eyes of God and Samuel. Uh, that they requested a king, but this is their king now. And they're, they're so excited to have Saul as their, their king, their guy. And Samuel says, there's no one else like him among everybody else. So Saul, I mean, really, uh, it seems like he was kind of a, a one-of-a-kind type of guy, maybe as, as far as his looks, as far as his stature. God had chosen him to be king. God's spirit fell on him. And then, as I mentioned when I was summarizing it just a minute ago, Saul leads the people in battle in 1 Samuel chapter 11. We won't take time to read that, but in 1 Samuel chapter 11, Saul defeats the Ammonites. These Ammonites were oppressing some of Israel's people, and Saul goes in and he rescues them and, and defeats the Ammonites, and he leads the, the people in this amazing battle. He's the one, the leader, and he's going into battle. So things started off really good for Saul. That's what we kind of see at the, the beginning. But again, like I kind of mentioned in my summary, it quickly went sideways for him. Things started uh, tottering very quickly for Saul because we see in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and chapter 15, Saul blatantly, blatantly disobeys God's commands. And again, for sake of time, we'll just kind of summarize this. But in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, Saul was instructed to wait to, for Samuel to come to offer sacrifices before a battle. And Saul gets a bit anxious and he gets a bit hasty and he's getting nervous because his men are starting to scatter, scatter before this battle and, and he offers the sacrifices himself. He's, he basically says, you know what, I can't wait on Samuel any longer. I'm going to offer these sacrifices. And he wasn't authorized to do so. He wasn't told to do so. And Samuel comes and he rebukes Saul for making this grave mistake. And it's a pretty, a pretty sharp rebuke. But then we get to 1 Samuel chapter 15, he makes another mistake. Saul is told to annihilate the Amalekites, an enemy of Israel who opposed Israel. And he's told to completely annihilate the Amalekites and not keep anything for spoil or, or take anything as plunder. And he doesn't listen. He even spared the king of the Am Amalekites, King Agag. He spared him some sheep, some oxen. 
And Samuel rebukes him for that. And at first, Saul's kind of fighting Samuel. He's like, hey, I did what you said. And Samuel's like, no, you didn't. You didn't listen. I hear the, I hear the sheep bleeding. I, I hear them. I hear them. And, and you, you spared them. You didn't follow the instructions. And eventually, Saul confesses his error. And he, uh, Sam, he wants Samuel to come back to worship with him. And here's what Samuel says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 26 to 29. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to your neighbor, who is better than you. Also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. So after Saul makes this mistake, Samuel confronts him, kind of had this interchange a little bit, and Sam, uh, Saul wants Samuel to come back, and he says, I'm not going to return with you. God's taken the kingdom away from you, and he's given it to somebody else. He's rejecting you. He's giving it to somebody who's better than you. And in an interesting situation, I can just see Saul falling down and grabbing Samuel's uh, robe, and it tears. And he kind of uses that as an object lesson. Hey, the kingdom has been torn from you, Saul pretty sad situation here that that Saul is being told your kingdom is going to be ripped from you going to be torn from you because you disobeyed you have not followed God's instructions eventually Samuel does go back to worship with him but but the prom, uh, what Samuel says here still stands now I think this is where Saul's bitterness begins have you ever been told that you're wrong how many of you like being told you're wrong I certainly do not. I, I do not like being told I'm wrong, and I've, I'm frequently wrong, and that's not good for me. But I, I don't like being told that I'm wrong or being confronted about my wrongdoings. And Samuel confronts Saul multiple times here and pretty sharply confronts him, telling him, hey, you, you've made a mistake. You've, you've transgressed God's commandments. You have not listened to what he said, and the kingdom's going to be ripped from you. And so who likes to be told that their spot's going to be taken from them and that somebody's better than them? He says somebody better than you is going to take your, your spot, basically. And so being told that, I can imagine how Saul's feeling on the inside. He's probably angry. He's probably bitter about this whole situation. But things really continue to go south from here. It doesn't get any better for Saul. In fact, his bitterness just ramps up here. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and again, we're not going to take time to read this. It's a very lengthy chapter, and you know it. David, in, in 1 Samuel 17, when no one else would step up, he steps up and he defeats the giant Goliath. You remember that story? There, there, there's these, the, basically the two camps, the Philistines on one side of the valley and the Israelites on the other. And, and uh, Goliath's making these claims, these bold claims, and mocking God, basically. And David eventually goes out. And after he defeats this, the people absolutely fall in love with David. They, his popularity, like I said, uh, when I was summarizing, it just skyrockets from here. And look what happens right after the battle, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. It happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, killing Goliath, that the woman came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments, the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. 
it's interesting, the women, it says the women come out to meet King Saul, and they're singing this song. That, hey, Saul has killed his thousands. Yeah, Saul's, Saul's won some victories for us, but David, hey, he's done so much more. He's killed ten thousands. They're basically ascribing more praise to, to David. Because he's just killed this Philistine, this notorious enemy. And everybody just falling in love with David here. And obviously, Saul's not too happy about this. Look at, uh, keep following in the text here in, in verses 8 and 9. Here's Saul's reaction. Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they've ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. From that day on, Saul always had a suspicious eye on David. He's jealous. And this is where the bitterness is really starting to ramp up because he's seeing, all right, the people are praising David more than me. He's killed this Philistine. And what's interesting about it is Saul didn't step up and kill Goliath. You know, Saul didn't do it, but David stepped up and did it. And he was praised for it. And Saul is very jealous and from this day on, he cannot get his, David out of his mind, getting rid of David out of his mind. And, and it really makes him spiral out of, of control. And so that's exactly what happens if we continue on in the text. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 10 through 16, Saul's anger and bitterness towards David just ramps up to another level. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul. And he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand, as usual. And a spear was in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in among them. Now, a lot of people here like to make this, this uh, a big issue that, you know, God sent an evil spirit to, to Saul. And they basically say, you know, God shouldn't have done that. Why would God do that? And, and, and really, um, we know that God does not tempt anybody with evil. Go to James. God is not tempted with evil. He does not tempt anybody with evil. So he's not making Saul sin. He's not making Saul do something. Saul's already dis disobeyed God. He's already made his choice to, to disobey God. And some see this as a, as a punishment uh, given to Saul for his, for his disobedience. And, and there could be uh, many other things that, that people point out here. But we can know that God is not making Saul sin here. Uh, but... We do notice that God's spirit had left Saul and it had entered David. And so Saul is trying anything he can do to get rid of David. And he, he has a spear and he wants to throw it at David and kill him, pin him to the wall, it even says. And not just escaped once, but twice here in this situation, Saul's trying to kill David. And so he removes him from his presence and he makes him a commander and things just keep prospering for David, just keep going better and better for David, and things keep getting worse and worse and worse for Saul. But I, I do want you, you to notice, the Lord left Saul. 
Because of Saul's disobedience, God left him and entered into David. David was blessed with, with God's presence. And that's why I think David was prosperous, because God was with him, and he wanted to follow God. And Saul disobeyed, and, and God left him. And so, I mean, just, just look at this, all the way Saul's acting. He's raving in his house, he's afraid of David, and he dreaded David. And so we can see this bitterness is ramping up. Now, throughout the book, and we don't have time to cover this uh, this evening, but we're just going to look at one more example. Throughout the rest of the book, basically, Saul tries to kill David, and he's trying, he pursues David over and over and over again. And so many situations you can read throughout the book of 1 Samuel where Saul is trying his best to kill David, to get David, to capture him, and he just can't do it. And I want to read one example of that in 1 Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 19. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do so, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. Saul said, May you be blessed of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go now, make more sure and investigate and see this place where his haunt is, and who has seen him there. For I am told that he is very cunning. So look and learn about all the hiding places where he hides himself. And return to me with certainty. And I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. Then they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. And he came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on the one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore, they called the place the Rock of Escape. David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. Again, this is just one example, but you can read throughout the book of 1 Samuel, this latter half, Saul pursues David and is trying to get him, trying to seize him and harm him, get rid of this threat to his kingdom. He's jealous of David. He doesn't want David to become king, and he's trying anything he can. And so this people, that, these are Israelites, by the way, Ziphites, and they, are, they actually tell Saul where David's whereabouts are. And so Saul comes down, and he's searching for him. And David's going up one side of a mountain and Saul's people are going up another side of the mountain and they're catching up with him about to seize him. And just at the, basically the last second, Saul is drawn away because the Philistines were raiding the land. And so stuff like this happens throughout the book. And there's even a couple of times where David has a chance to kill Saul himself. But David always spared Saul's life. But basically what we're, what we're trying to point to is that Saul was trying whatever he could do to get rid of David. But no matter how hard he tried, Saul couldn't do it. Saul could not get rid of David. First of all, David was God's chosen king. David was chosen to be the next king. And nothing that Saul could do could thwart God's purposes. David was going to be king. And nothing, there's nothing really Saul could, could do about it. Although he tried valiantly, he could not. Not only that. What's interesting, and we didn't read this, but you, we, we, we can read this in the text. David 
really, Saul could not escape David because David was married to Saul's daughter, Michal, and he was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And so David was frequently around or, or very intimately involved with Saul's family. And so not only did he not like David, but he didn't like this guy who was in his own family. He wanted to get rid of the guy who was in his own family. He could not escape him. And so what ends up happening is Saul ends up dying in battle. And I mentioned that in that summary. He dies in battle against the, the Philistines along with his sons. And, and it's a really grotesque thing that happens. They take their bodies and hang them on a wall. And, and it's a really sad situation. But Saul ends up dying and David ends up taking over as king. So very quickly, let's talk about bitterness. This bitterness, David, or Saul became bitter towards David. He saw that David was prospering and, and he became jealous and he was trying to do whatever he could to get rid of him. And folks, bitterness may not seem like a big deal to us. It may seem like a smaller sin. You know, we have sometimes these categories for some reason. But bitterness may not seem like a big issue. But it's actually talked about several times in the New Testament. So let's look at those verses here up, up on the screen. Acts 8 and verse 23. This is a, in a situation where Peter is rebuking a prophet named Simon. Simon tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, and Peter rebukes him heavily. And in that rebuke, he says this, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Not a positive thing here. Another instance is in Romans chapter 3, verse 14. Paul is telling his readers that there's no one righteous. Everyone is sinful before God. We all fall short. And a part of us is what he says here, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Bitterness. Again, not a positive thing in the context of sinning. Ephesians 4.31, and this is probably the most clear uh, situation here about uh, bitterness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Paul had just been talking about not using corrupt speech, putting that away from you. And he talks about other things to put away, like bitterness, wrath, malice, all those things. And then finally, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the Hebrews writer says this, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. You could see from the New Testament that bitterness is always in a negative light. It's not something positive. It's not something good, obviously. It's warned against. So the question then becomes, what is bitterness? What are we really talking about when we talk about somebody who's bitter or embittered towards somebody? Well, here's the definition. In Greek, it's a, it's a word, pikria. That's what the word means. And Strong's definition is simply this. Acridity, especially poison, literally or figuratively, bitterness. Uh, the dictionary.com says this, a feeling of antagonism, hostility, or resentfulness. And there could be many other things we could tack onto this, but that kind of is the, the gist of it there. I think that a really good way to, to think about this is um, with bitter foods or bitter drinks. I hate coffee. I'm just, I know that's probably blasphemous for me to say to some of you. I cannot stand coffee, especially black coffee. It leaves such a bitter taste in your mouth. It's disgusting. I don't, I don't want any bit of coffee at all. It leaves a nasty taste in your mouth, right? A bitter, a bitter taste. And I feel like if I drink one sip of coffee, I can taste it for three years. You know, it never goes away. Um, 
if we're bitter people, we're leaving that nasty taste in people's, or nasty thought in people's minds. You know, we're not leaving a positive impression, but it's something that, that's kind of sour, sours us and that we don't really like, that doesn't, it's not pleasing. And really what I think is, is really important is that, that definition there, a feeling of antagonism, hostility, or resentfulness. When something maybe doesn't go our way or when somebody, like in Saul's situation, confronts us, we can become bitter towards them or bitter towards a situation. We can become hateful, antagonistic, and hostile towards people. And I think about bearing a grudge too, where we hold something against somebody and maybe we try to seek revenge or get back at them. That's kind of what we're talking about with, with bitterness here is this, this antagonism. And folks, that has no part in the church, being bitter towards one another or bitter towards really anything. And I also want to point out this very quickly. Bitterness, I think, is very much tied to envy and jealous, jealousy. You think back to Saul's situation. Why did he become bitter and want to get rid of David at all costs? It was because David was becoming very popular and he saw him as a threat to his throne. He didn't want David to take over. He, he became jealous of him and he started hating him, becoming resentful and hostile towards David. And I think jealousy can really, really lead us to, to become bitter. And it's easy to become jealous. It's easy to see, okay, somebody has something that I don't have or somebody's in a situation that I want to be in and we can be bitter towards that person, become hostile or resentful towards them. So simply put, folks, I just want to, to say, we have to watch out for bitterness. Again, I know this is not seen as something that maybe we talk about a whole lot or that's a big sin. But again, it's talked about in the New Testament. It's warned about to put away bitterness that has no part within the church. Because I, I think a very, very important thing we have to note here is that bitterness can really affect unity. If we're bitter towards one another and we are resentful or hostile towards one another, you can't really be unified, right? We can't have unity and be of one mind and of one purpose if we are hateful towards one another or hostile towards one another. And folks, I've heard of situations in the church where people can't resolve their issues and the hostility just builds and the bitterness builds and division happens. We have to be careful. And David gave a great lesson on unity a couple weeks ago, and we won't talk extensively about that here, but we know how important it is to be unified in the body of Christ. To be of one mind, of, of one spirit together. And bitterness can really, really hurt that. Um, but folks, we have to understand, sometimes things don't go our way. You may not have gotten that job that you wanted or that raise that you wanted. You may not have gotten that grade you wanted in class or that spot that you wanted on the team. You may have had somebody confront you like, like somebody did, like Samuel did with Saul. You, you may have somebody told you that you're wrong or that somebody may have took your position and folks, and in those situations, it's really easy to become bitter towards somebody. That, that should have been me in that position. That should have been me that got that raise or that got that position or that did this or got that. And we have to be on the lookout for bitterness. They can eat, those situations and more could lead to bitterness and they can take over our minds. Seriously, they can flood our minds and we can become so hostile and hateful towards others if things don't go our way. And Paul says, put that away. And I want to point back to that, but actually add uh, the verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 4. 
Look at verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. How we can get rid of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and all those things, how we can get rid of that is by what Paul says at the end. But rather, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because we've been forgiven by God. There's no reason for us to withhold forgiveness from somebody because we've been forgiven a huge debt. We must forgive because we've been forgiven. We must be tenderhearted towards one another. We must be kind to one another. And if those things are present in our lives, bitterness won't be an issue because that's really the opposite of bitterness. Kindness, tenderness, forgiveness. And that's what Paul's saying. Those things need to be a part of our lives. Not bitterness, not hostility, not anger and resentment, but kindness, forgiveness. Some translations say compassion and forgiveness. And so... Folks, I hope tonight that you will see in Saul's life, bitterness took over and it literally ruined him. He could not get David out of his mind and it ruined his life. And it can ruin ours too. And we can hold grudges and we can be resentful and that has no place in the church. We have to put bitterness away and be clothed with kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. And again, because we've been forgiven, we've been extended that same the same thing by God, and so we must extend it to others. So tonight, if you are struggling with this, and maybe you have a situation in which you're bitter, you're, you're resentful or hateful or, or whatever it may, it may be, maybe you need to come forward and confess that. We'd love to help you. And if you've never given your life to Christ and you want to enter into a life where you start growing these things like compassion and tenderness and and forgiveness. We'd love to baptize you into Christ. If you have any need tonight, please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.